Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Amran Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the master magician, Mr. Todd Bussler, from the one and only Champify. Nick, why should people listen? If you're the type of salesperson that's pounding the phones, attacking your cold email, blasting prospects with LinkedIn messages, you're using the same channel that 99.9% of salespeople use again and again and again. And Todd has some unique plays to help get in with some new prospects. Three, two, one, play this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. All right, Todd, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Let's start out with start team selling early. And I say like a chameleon. So 
we all know that the buyer circles are growing three to seven, three to 10 people on the prospect side. And in the past where it's been all about the VP or getting the CTO, a lot of these lower level people actually have a lot of clout. So when I think about team selling, the tips for me is AE, you're the quarterback. So it's your job to put together a plan, who owns which relationships by when, which type of communications. You're creating that key table of who on your side is owning the three to seven relationships with folks on the buyer side. Second tip is utilize your entire team. So frontline manager, sales engineer, VP, founder, CTO, CSM. This could also be investors and customers. And then really third part where I talk about chameleon is think about matching for the type of profile they are, right? If you're selling to a young hotshot VP at Eng, match them with your nerdy Stanford educated CTO. If you're selling with the gray hair CFOs, the EB, you want to bring in your most senior exec to show that you're a real company, you're not going anywhere, et cetera. These are the little things that develop trust, but you can match on as much of them as possible and you'll see win rates go up. Number two is having a distinct process for nurturing deals. I think that assuming you have your ICP and your personas dialed in, you're going to have a lot of conversation with folks, both inbound and outbound, many of which are going to have problems that your solution can solve for. However, whether they have the money set aside for this, the energy to go create a new project, whether they have some existing contract in place, a lot of these are outside of your control. So how do you handle these do-nothings? What's the best way to nurture these people? The way I like to think about this is first, making sure you have real loss reasons. A lot of companies don't have good loss codes, and therefore, it's hard to do proper nurture. Even if your company doesn't have them, make sure that you're keeping track of that. Secondly, think about what would you need to change or what would have to change in the business to have a legit shot to win their business. And then third, who are the two to three contacts you're going to have to win over? Number three is do a periodic pipe gen audit. So think about every six to 10 weeks, depending on your deal cycle, doing a what I call a PG audit. So you're used to as a rep doing a QBR, right? You spend a lot of time doing a revenue audit, looking at wins and losses, deal stats, forecasts, asks needed to the organization. However, most people don't do this on the PG side. They do it maybe for individual cadences or looking at their cold call metrics. But the way I think about this is every 60 days or so, go through your key metrics for pipe gen. How many contacts to get a new meeting did you have to go after? How many accounts to get a new business meeting? How many of your top accounts were you able to break into? See what messaging is working. See what's resonating. Um, and then what you need to see how much time you're investing to do this. Are you actually hitting those goals? And, and the reality is over the last few years, email response rates going way down, something like 40%. Cold outreach is becoming a smaller and smaller part of the pie for your overall pipeline mix. So once you can assess this performance, you can understand what's working well, what's not working, where do I need to start coming up with more creative ways to, to add to my mix. So Todd, one thing that I've seen people struggle with if we go back to closed lost opportunities, is I don't know what to tell people when they're not ready to buy. In other words, it might be three, four, five, six months until that event occurs where they're ready to buy again. And so when they're not ready to buy, what are some things that I can do to stay on top of these prospects other than, hey, are you ready to buy yet? Yeah, I think the first thing you don't want to do is that. Hey, are you ready now? Hey, it's been six weeks. You ready now? I think the other thing you don't want to do is just jam more content down their throat, right? It's like they don't want to look at you as another form of email marketing. They want to look at you as this someone that's going to actually help me do my job well. So the way I like to think about this is find out 
who those people are. If you have who the person is, you probably need to have two or three of them. And then think about how can I help this person until they are ready? So what I like to think about is, are they hiring for a specific role? Can you make a couple intros? Even if it doesn't go anywhere, it's showing them that you care. Can you introduce them to a new community, right? If you're in the compensation world, there's a tons of communities where people are talking about them. That shows that, hey, you're an insider, you're getting them involved. Can you help support some of their promotion on LinkedIn if it's someone you're selling in the sales or marketing space? I've helped significant others of these types of people get jobs in the past, right? Anything where you're just staying top of mind because that time will come and you just want to remember, hey, okay, Armin's in my head when that time does come. Todd, I guess question related to this is how do you actually build it into your workflow and operationalize it? Because like I could see Armand as my close lost opportunity and like I don't want to have to think of all 47 Armands that I lost deals with and have these be random one-offs that send me ping-ponging back and forth. So like do you have a, an approach to build this into your workflow? I think a lot of it comes down to how long you've been at a company too. One of the first tips I say is like, Think about your prospecting mix as a mix, right? And there's like a pie chart of how many hours you can put in each area. Nurture is one part of that. As you're a rep, you know, when I was at Heap for five years, I could spend most of my time prospecting people that I've just had lost deals with or no decisions with, right? So for me, I just think about that becomes a bigger chunk of your prospecting mix. In terms of how you do that, if you block off every Tuesday to prospect or you have windows, I believe that has to be on the calendar for it to happen. But it has to be some periodic basis and some percentage of your overall mix. And I think you should be diligent about that mix, right? Like nurturing should be 30% of this because I've lost end deals last quarter, right? And I don't think people are as diligent as they should be there. Yeah, there are two ways where I've seen this done really well in the past. The first is I, I actually have a blank sequence template that has both a monthly and a quarterly version. And it's literally just a blank task for all of my closed loss ops that recurs every single month that just reminds me, hey, you lost this op a month ago. On the first week of every month, you're gonna batch all of your closed loss ops and find something interesting to say to them, even if they're not ready to buy now. That's number one. Number two is when I'm tearing out my territory, I've actually like built dashboards in the past that will show me any closed loss ops that I haven't touched in the last 60 days. And then as part of that 60 day pipe gen audit to your point, Todd, it just becomes part of your workflow where the skimming the cream off the top occurs with the deals that you've lost in the past first, because that is obviously where deals are warm. I'm curious, Todd, you, I know you had some things in the prep around different triggers you can look at in your territory to identify the low-hanging fruit. What are some of the ways that I can start to look at my patch of accounts and identify low-hanging fruit that maybe I should reach out to first in my territory? For sure. So I think nurtures are a great place to start. You're taking over a new patch. Where are deals that we've had multiple opportunities and lost? What can I go learn about that? I think that's a great thing. I think the second thing is looking at where you have former users and buyers, right? So like if you've been around as an organization for a while, you have happy users or happy buyers that have switched jobs. Usually, you know, that's 20 to 25% of people changing jobs every year. So where can you find like a big surge of X users in your accounts, right? That's something that whether you're using a specific tool or sales navigator, whatever that may be, that's a good place to start. And then the final part is like, you know, from a personal connection standpoint, company connection standpoint, even university connection standpoint, what you're really just looking for is any more warmth to get started. So you're not competing against everyone else in pure cold. 
I'm curious about how the messaging sounds like in the previous example and then the one that you gave here. So let's start with the one where you have a closed lost op and you know, you're helping, you're helping Armand's girlfriend get a job and you're sending over like an occasionally interesting article. Like you're not blasting them with content. Like at what point do you say, Hey, are you ready to buy again? Or do I just like assume that they're going to tell me let's start there. And then I guess I can ask about the other example. I think the key is like Armin said, you don't want to just be, you know, sending just your content over. So if you're helping them with three or four things that are outside of your solution, and then there's actually a really good piece of content or there's actually a really good piece of advice, send that over. And now it might be time like, hey, I know it's been six months since we actually checked back on this. Let me know what you think of this event. And also, does it make sense to revisit now? Like that's still value, 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 subtle. Is it time yet? Because to think everyone's just going to come back and say, I'm 100% ready, I don't think that's realistic. But I think you have to blur the line of, becoming another form of email marketing to them versus being helpful. The other one where, okay, so there's a VP of sales at company A, and then she leaves, and now she's at company B. She's a former user of my thing when she was at company A. How soon should I be reaching out to her at company B? Like, should I be LinkedIn-ing her on her very first day? And then what do I say? Am I as direct as like, hey, you used my software before, want to buy it again? Or am I like more subtle or nuanced? I'm curious what your recommendation is. Yeah. I mean, just to start, I think these are the best leads ever, right? They're educated. They're aware. They're usually a happy user, right? So like you already did 60 to 80% of what you have to do, right? So now the question is just, what's the most natural way to spin up a conversation here? So what I like to think about is the first thing I look at is who is our CSM, who was the person in sales engineer? Who was someone on PS that had the best relationship with them? I asked that person before I reach out. Now, that could mean I'm going to CC them on the email. That could mean I could ghostwrite it for them to make the introduction to me. And then all I'm trying to do here is like, hey, I deeply understand how you used our product at previous org. Here's some of the things I think could be unique or uniquely helpful at new org. Is it worth taking a look? right? So like, that's kind of the call to action. If someone's really new, Nick, like weeks in, sometimes I'll just say, Hey, welcome on the new role. Congrats. It seems like an awesome thing you're working on. I've been following this company a while. If you want to maybe say coffee on me or something like that, that's awesome. And then come back 30, 60 days later, some combination of those. What we did in our previous role is basically ping the CSM. I'd say, Hey, how well do you know this person? If they knew them well, a lot of times this was like a Slack or a text to just say like, Hey, is it worth looking at heap? I, the AE is asking me to send you a ping and you'll get an answer right away. Usually they'll be like, no, we have your competitor. Or like, Hey, this is awesome. I'm actually already working on it. Right. If it's just somewhat warm, I think just see seeing them in because this isn't a thing you want to put someone in a 10 touch cadence, right? Like that's not how it, it wants to be. So CCing your CSM. So maybe three touches over three to six weeks, and then you can actually have the CSM follow in right? Seems like a very natural way to go about it. I love that. And one of the things that you're not doing is a lot of people are like, hey, you were at this old company. Do you want to buy it again? Because the reality is someone might have gone to a much larger company or someone might have gone from managing the function that would manage your tool to not. And now it's a referral play. Or maybe they went to a smaller company where the same pain points were not relevant at all. So you can't just be pinging these people saying, hey, do you want to buy this thing again? And so what do I do when someone gets back to me 
and they're like, hey, Todd, it's great to hear from you again. Hey, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm just getting my bearings straight right now. I just started the new job. I don't even know what's going on right now. What do I do when I get those sorts of objections when I feel like my champion doesn't have political capital quite yet? I, I would do two things. I would talk about that that nurture play, which is just like, they're probably getting their bearings and saying, how the hell do I do this job well? Now, you talk to people that do that job all the time, right? So how can you make them better at their job outside of your solution? Same thing, intro to community, intro to a new hire, intro to a peer they're trying to learn from. Maybe it's, you know, we were selling to PMs. Maybe it's a PM at your company that can talk them through how they ramped in their first three to six months, right? So something just to make them helpful the second component is saying, hey, based on what I'm seeing at your organization, here's some ways that I think we could be uniquely helpful. And here's the people that likely need to get involved. And then the final thing is a lot of what, and I hear a lot about this on the show is, you know, champion building decks where you're doing a lot of that enablement. You could take a lot of those materials, even though it's not late in the sales cycle and say, hey, this is how people are typically going about a business case. This is the requirements that are usually important. Here's the changes that are starting to happen in an organization when they come to us, right? So you're just starting to plant the seeds for them. Todd, what about the scenario where I've worked at software companies where we might not have done a very good job with our customers? What do you do when you reach out to someone who you know you can help, but they have had a negative experience with your thing in the past? Does that change the way that you approach it? I think, unfortunately, it does change the things. Like the best people have the most experience with Champify are the ones that have the highest MPS and the happiest users, right? Because they go to their next thing. They're like, yep, I'm, you're already on my radar. I'm just thinking when and where do I bring you in? I think the reality of a lot of these SaaS companies is there is a lot of turnover. There's some exec turnover leadership. There's a lot of years where things didn't go super well. They might have oversold and the, pro- the, the product didn't deliver. I think, Nick, if I'm in your shoes, what I'm trying to do is set the right tone of, hey, this is us today. Here's what's changed in our past. Here's what sharing what you can with NPS, sharing some new logos, sharing some people that have left other competitors and came to you and just say, hey, give us a shot. Like I know things were different at that point. Here's what's changed. Give us a look. Right. And all your tra- and I would acknowledge it, just straight up acknowledge it because they probably feel that. If you're feeling it, they're definitely feeling that. Todd, I'm curious. This is talking a lot about when a current customer lands at a new company, had a prospect into that company. One of the things I've actually seen as a big opportunity is when a blocker leaves a current company that you were trying to sell. So you might have one of those closed loss opportunities we were talking about earlier, where the exit criteria is this person's got to leave. And so I'm curious, like when you have champion turnover or when you have prospect turnover, how are you using that in your outreach? Yeah, great question. The first way I think about this is, let's say you're an account executive that owns existing accounts as well. You want to know when some key champions are leaving your account, right? So that's more on the defensive side, making sure you can still expand these accounts. But to your to your point, Armand, is we tell all of our customers that as long as a deal got to a certain stage, let's say it's stage four out of stage five, we still want to start tracking those people for the, exactly this reason. Because look, some VP turned over there and all the directors actually really wanted this thing. I need to know about that. Right. Or even someone new is coming into that account that they haven't purchased yet, but you know they've been a supporter of your product in their previous role. Okay, that's going green light. They're ready now. Right. So I 100% agree with that. 
Todd, one of the things that you talked about in the beginning was doing your PG, or I think it means pipeline generation audit, where you're looking at where is my pipeline actually coming from? And I know that you have a bunch of really unique ideas around how to get more in your pipe, which I think most people could use. And I'm wondering, maybe you could talk about some of those for me. The first thing is I like to think about how you go about generating pipeline in terms of campaigns or in terms of sprints, very much like a dev team. So like, I think the first thing is how can almost every team has some type of marketing calendar, some type of content that's coming up events calendar. I like to sit down. If your sales leadership team isn't getting with marketing and planning this together, then look, it's up to you. So like sit down for the next eight weeks and say, what are, what are going to be my plans based on that marketing calendar of how I'm going to prospect? Now, sure, within that, you're always going to have your standard ways, your nurture plays, et cetera. But this is like new people that I'm going after and plan that align with marketing. So that's the first and foremost part. A couple other like tactical things that I think can almost on a quarterly basis, handful, drive some meetings, drive some pipeline are things like operationalizing your alumni network, right? So let's say, Nick, you're on a team of six or seven other reps and a manager, likely all went to different schools. Maybe there's a little overlap. You can share your top contacts, find a hundred of your contacts in your overall prospect universe that went to one of those six or seven schools. Might not be the exact person, but it's you know one degree away or one title below or above. And then what we would do is just do these like prospecting blocks where our entire team would get together. We'd have a tab in each Google Sheet for Todd who went to Penn, Nick who went to SC, Armin went to wherever he went. Right. And then people are just helping write these intro emails for each other. Right. So what I end up doing is writing a bunch of emails for my six peers. My peer does it for his six as well. And you're just getting these warmer conversations that are likely having like four, five, six X better response rates than cold. The biggest thing I say about outbound is you're just trying to get the message seen and just get some type of feedback. So a lot of times you'd be like, look, we're not interested. We've been seeing this kid's email nonstop, but like, okay, now you know, right? Or like, hey, I actually got this person to read. They don't like you guys for X, Y, or Z. And okay, now I have a plan, right? So that's one. Another area I really like, we talked, we talked about this was on, on the nurture side. And then a final one is the, the tracking the user and buyers. Like I think that most really good reps if you've been at a company for more than two, three years, you've probably sold to the same person multiple times already. Right? I did a six-year run at Heap. There was probably three or four people I sold to twice. I know where those people are, right? Like I'm on top of those VPs. I'm on top of those CPOs. However, there's a whole long tail of users that are happy, educated, aware, and have experience with your product that you're probably not even tracking in LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right. So like spend some time uploading them into Sales Navigator. Use a tool like Champify to find out where they're going. And you're just going to have a lot more easier meetings so that you can focus the cold outbound on really tweaking the message going at the same time as a good marketing message, because that stuff's getting harder. Todd, one thing that I struggle with is this is some killer stuff you've got is we've got customers leaving. We've got customer introductions or peer introductions. We've got blockers leaving accounts. And as a mid-market rep, I might have 300 or 400 accounts in my book and I can't remember all this stuff. And so are you doing anything to document these things or keep track of these things so that you don't have to keep it all in your brain or every time you pick up an account, you're basically starting from research step one again? 
Yeah, great, great question. So I think the first thing is like planning out your eight weeks of PG. And I think to do that, you need to do the audit and then you could plan it. So it's like, all right, this week I'm going to focus two of my days on X, three of my days on Y, right? Like I think you have to plan it or it's just not going to happen. If it's in this sporadic format, it's not going to happen. And then in terms of what do I actually do? Sure. Documentation around like, you know, check to see usage count, check to see if there's any university connections. What ends up happening is you have some really good you know, Boolean strings and sales navigator to understand anyone on your team that has some alumni connections, that becomes a play, right? Uh, you look at the X users, that becomes a play. You're tied in with a couple events over the, the, the quarter, that becomes a play. But like for me, the biggest part is not, you know, what play do I run? It's planning out your time on like an eight, you know, an eight week sprint, much like developers. Todd, I'm curious around the mix that goes into this pipeline generation pie chart. And I recognize it's going to be different based on your segment and industry and how good of a cold caller you are or not. But do you have any recommendations for salespeople who might only be going down one route of cold email and want to diversify their prospecting for how they might think about allocating their mix of time? Yeah, I think, look, the channel, every buyer is different and segment is different. And I think it's hard to give generic advice there. I think when I think about prospecting mix, I'm not thinking how many are cold emails, how many cold calls, how many LinkedIn touches. To me, that's all part of a cadence, a campaign. To me, what I'm thinking is how much are nurtures, how much is driving people to a new webinar, how much is driving someone to a community event, how much is like trying to get people involved for a meetup that they can learn from each other. Those are what I think about the mix. And then whatever you use is the the channel. Like if you're selling to salespeople, yeah, I think you got to get on the phones because they answer the phone, right? Like if you're selling to developers and trying to like get them to answer your cold email, good luck. Like you're going to need another way to go about that. I can't answer it for, you know, the medium, but I think I can answer it for the mix from a percentage standpoint. I'm curious about getting people to show up at like webinars or even live events. Cause here's what has happened to me before. My marketing team says, Nick, we're doing a webinar next month. Let's see if you can get 30 prospects to show up to it here. Go get them. And then I start cold calling people and I cold call Armand and I say, Hey, I know I'm calling you out of the blue. Do you mind if I have one minute? And he says, fine, you have one minute. And then I say, I'm calling to invite you to a webinar. Like, should I be doing this different? Should I be thinking about inviting people to events and meetups differently than I, than I've done in the past? Cause it, it's felt like just spinning my wheels before. Yeah. I think I feel the same way. Like for the majority of the, I don't think there's a golden answer. The thing I like about trying to drive someone to an event or a webinar, it's just a different call to action than like sign up or take a meeting. It's like, Hey, at least come learn more about this. I think the reality is you try to push hard to get people to just sign up. They're probably not going to show up. And then what you can do is go cut some of that webinar and send it to them. Like, hey, I know it's a lot to get someone to a webinar. I know this is after hours. I cut the, the biggest three minutes into something that's going to be really useful. By the way, it's going to be useful for everyone that you invited. So, you, you know, it'll look personalized. That's what I would do. I think the biggest thing is it's just the call to action is a little lighter and more real than take a meeting. Give me 15 minutes because that gets old after a while. Todd, this has been phenomenal. We are running out of time. The clock is ticking. We got to move to the final question. So the final question is this. We talked about a lot of things salespeople should be doing because they help them. 
Now let's talk about something salespeople shouldn't be doing because it hurts them. The last question is what's one bad habit that you think most salespeople need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Salespeople need to remember that their core job is to generate revenue for the organization. And it's very easy at high growth companies to start to be a slave to your calendar. And I think people need to do is stop trying to make friends with everyone at the company, be very selfish with their time. But like your job is that first, which is deliver revenue. And if you start to lose control of your calendar, I think bad things happen. So biggest thing is being selfish with your time and being comfortable saying no to a lot of internal things. Beautiful. Todd, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Todd Bussler include number one, don't just be an email marketer to keep your closed loss ops warm. Help them with an introduction, a referral, or something relevant to their business. Don't just send them a bunch of blog posts. Number two, when a past customer lands at a new job, don't just ask them, hey, you want to buy again? Tell them why your product is still relevant, despite the fact that they might have taken on a bigger role at a bigger company, a smaller company, what have you. Tailor the problems that they were solving to their current gig. Number three, leverage team selling to stay multi-threaded in an account so you don't have to restart the sales cycle over and over again. One common way you can do this is by matching power with power. And then lastly, number four, if a champion leaves, an account and you weren't multi-threaded, try to find the folks who were the biggest fans of your account or the biggest fans of your company, and then really dumb down the steps you've already taken in the sales cycle so you don't have to start all over again. All righty, Nick, how could people help us out here? It would warm my heart if you would let Todd know if you liked the episode. He said at the end of our recording, guys, I really hope people liked the episode but I'm not sure. And I said, don't worry. If people like the episode, I'll ask at the end for them to hit you up. So give Todd some love and we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. 